What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy. And I am Gia Casey. And this is another edition of the Casey Crew. Now, uh, this is a little different edition. This is the Blizzard edition. Okay. <laughs> now, if you don't know, on the East Coast, uh, a blizzard hit us a couple of a day ago or so. And um, we had to buy equipment and tape from our basement. Yes, yes. Because we didn't want to let you down on Wednesday. Right. So we actually had, to, I went to the Guitar Center in Sam Ash and went and, and purchased mics and all type of recording equipment so we can actually do the podcast. Um, so it's in our basement. So if it sounds a little strange, a little different from what it usually sounds like, that's the reason why. Okay. Um, if you hear kids come in... Um, <laughs> <laughs> they like, just might. They just might. I, I summon them to upstairs. That's the word. I, I summon them upstairs. They're in Madison's room. Summon them. You know what I mean. <laughs> I put their ass upstairs in Madison's room. I put. I gave them food, candy, and TV. They're, and she's leading the pack right now? She's leading the pack she's right now. She's in charge? Okay. But the kids have a mind of their own, so they just might come down here. You never know. So mm-hmm. I'm just putting that disclaimer out there. And I just. But, wanna... but listen, this is live. So if it happens, then right. what are you going to do? Now, also, as you see, I tried to set the mood. I, I lit a candle. <laughs> you did light a candle. I lit a candle. I I, I brought you water. Uh, no, where's my chamomile tea? I don't know how to make chamomile tea. I don't Dude, even know what chamomile tea is. all you have to do is boil water. I don't make you tea. Don't, you, don't, you don't need lessons on how to make tea. You boil water. You drop a bag in it. I don't know how to make tea. And then you throw a heap of sugar in it. And well, you should have a happy tea. camper. On your way down, you should have brought your ass your own tea. <laughs> You're trying to accuse me of being late to come down to the basement. You was a little late to come down to the basement. <laughs> I said, come down in 20 minutes. You came down in 22 minutes. No, what did I tell you? I told you, call me or text me upstairs and let me know when you're ready. And I will come right down. And I did. It took you a little second. A little second? Probably stopped at the refrigerator and got As some As opposed food. to a big second? Shut up. Yeah, I do have a little snack behind the couch over there. I hid I from you, you. so you don't have to make fun of me. strawberries, probably. <laughs> now, also, I don't know if you realize, but the heat is at 80 degrees. Yes, thank you. I, it is so nice and cozy down here. It is too hot down here. It. it is too warm. It actually feels really good. This feels good. But don't get thank used to this. You. Don't get used to this. Why not get used to this? I think this needs to be a thing. No. What do you What do you mean? We're going to set up a little room, no. put all this equipment that you got in the room, and we're going to do this every week from our house. Well, the thing with this is I like to go to the studio in the city mm-hmm. because you get dressed up. You put on nice heels, you put on a good clothes, and then we go date night after. Uh-huh. See, I like that. Now you got on fuzzy pajamas and fu- fuzzy socks. No, actually, this is a fuzzy robe that you got me right. one Christmas. That's, okay. So obviously you like it. But not the fuzzy socks. Like fuzzy What's socks, wrong with fuzzy socks? It's not sexy. Fuzzy socks. I mean, I can take it off, but fuzzy socks are nice and cozy. I think it, it's in keeping with the robe. And is that my t-shirt? What? Is that my t-shirt you have on? This isn't your t-shirt. Yes, it is my t-shirt <laughs> and my t-shirt. So I'm going to let you slide. So this is going to be like every once in a while when we have to. Every blizzard. No, why can't this be every week? Oh, well, we can still we can still keep date night intact. I will still get dressed up for you. Then you'll be late to come to the basement to take the podcast. <laughs> I won't, I promise. All right. Well, we appreciate everybody for uh, leaving comments and listening to the podcast. I mean, it, it's been catching on. It's been doing so well. We just want to say it's thank you. It's a real you. blessing. We're really appreciative. Thank you for listening. Absolutely. And uh, I know sometimes we don't reply to everybody, but we read every email, we read every DM, every comment we we try to read and we appreciate it. And sometimes we take the questions of the week from those DMs or those emails or those or those comments. We definitely do. And you can always email us the Casey crew at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-E. CaseyCrew at gmail.com and you can hit us up but we appreciate you checking us up on iTunes SoundCloud Spotify iHeart YouTube everything yes
Yes. Now, uh, reading the emails, a lot of women out there have been asking questions about being pregnant and pregnancy. Mm -hmm. They have. And I wouldn't call you necessarily an experienced person, but you are an experienced person. That was a little bit of a contradiction. I know. I mean, you're like the doc- <laughs> you're like the doctor or the professional of, of being pregnant. Okay. Like you have five in the can and, and they all popped out healthy. Yes. So women always God. ask, you know, how is it? You know, how is it? They're nervous. They're scared. They don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys always hit me their first child. I'd be like, you know, I don't know what to do. They're you know, nervous. They're definitely nervous. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of guys are nervous, not about the pregnancy itself, but they're nervous about having to support a family. Yeah, that. The idea of being the man of the house and having this new responsibility. You know, if it's your wife or your girlfriend, mm-hmm. you know, typically two adults fend for themselves, but when you're bringing a new baby into a situation, it's a whole heap of responsibility and not just financial, but moral responsibility. You want to be your child's hero. Right. And a lot of times we underestimate what pregnancy and having a new child does to a man how it affects a man and his psyche well you know what you know for me that was definitely something I thought about but what also bothered me was I'm an only child Mm -hmm. so I necessarily never held a baby Mm-hmm. So I didn't. Ebony, you didn't. You never held Ebony. I never held born? Ebony, which is my cousin. I never held my goddaughters until they were like three, four. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that baby stage, changing pampers, how delicate you have to be right. when a baby cries. I never got there. Mm-hmm. So it was like learning on the job. So I was scared when this baby pops out. I don't even know how to hold the baby. Right. You know, and it's right. something that's natural. And for four kids, it was very natural. And the reason I say four kids is because when we had the last baby. I felt like a total effort. Like I, <laughs> but I knew a bit. Why Brooklyn, was that though? I don't know. It just didn't feel natural. It's like I couldn't get a. It's grasp. like you were scared all over again. It was. It felt like it was our first child again. It's like I just could not get a grasp. Which is strange because Jackson is only two years older than her. Right. And, and and it usually comes so natural. I mean, I could just pick up a baby, change a pamper, put him to sleep, and keep it moving in yeah. one, two, three. And with baby Brooklyn, I just couldn't. She gave you the spooks. It was she a did, little weird. She definitely You're gave right. me the spook. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I'm all over her now because of that. Like, you know, we sit there, play games, make and spit at each other, and just have fun. But mm-hmm. at first, I just didn't know what to do. I could not make her comfortable. Right, right. But with, you know, with, with all the other children... You know, a lot of people worry about, okay, exactly what you just said. I don't know how to hold and I don't know at what stage you're supposed to do this. And what if I make a mistake? And I always thought that, especially for mothers, being a mother is so natural. As long as you know to hold that head and that neck, everything else kind of comes very, very naturally. And it's not rocket science. You know, having a newborn isn't. I mean, it is difficult it is waking difficult. up in the middle of the night and things that come along with it. But as far as the baby's safety and the bond that a mother has with her child, all of that, it's surprising how naturally it comes. Right. So that's not something that I think that should be a real genuine concern. But for men, I think it's a little bit of a different story. I think men need to be a little bit more accustomed to the idea. They have to get used to it because I don't think that the bond and the care for the child comes as naturally. Right. You know, and not only that, but I didn't know how difficult it was for a woman to have a child. And when I say have a child, so many things that affect their body. Mm -hmm. You know, when we had our first child, Madison, 
you know, I, I honestly thought that, you know, hey, you're pregnant, you you go to the doctor, you a couple of pushes, and boom, baby's here. Did you really think that? I honestly, I never thought about it. It's not something I thought about. You know, mm-hmm. you think about having a child, but you don't think of the details of, of how hard and difficult and what it does to the body. And, you know, it, it really takes a toll on the body. I mean, for us, it actually wasn't too much different than what you thought it would be. It is, it was a very easy pregnancy for me. I really didn't feel pregnant while I was pregnant. And um, the labor Mm -hmm. and the delivery were very, very easy for me. Um, We had a complication afterwards, which we can talk about. But the pregnancy, my particular um, experience was that I carried Madison very, very small, right. as I did all of the other ones, but Madison was the smallest. When she was born, she was five pounds, six ounces. Mm-hmm. Full term, she was actually overbaked. She was supposed to have been delivered earlier. I should have right. gone into labor earlier, but my body just didn't go into labor. And um, what actually happened was we had a doctor's appointment. And we went. Uh, On the same day, I had my pregnancy photo scheduled. Mm -hmm. So I had my hair done, my makeup done. I had everything that I needed packed neatly in the car. Right. The idea was I was going to go to my doctor's appointment because during the last stage of pregnancy, you see your doctor once a week up until you go into delivery. So I was at one of those general appointments Mm -hmm. where they pretty much take the baby's um, head circumference. They measure the stomach to make sure that everything is in keeping with where it should be. The growth schedule. Exactly. Right. And after that, I was supposed to head into deep Long Island because we were living in Queens at the time and have the pictures taken. And I went, they did all the measurements and they said, you know what? You should have already gone into labor. Right. The baby is overdue. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? They said, well, based on everything on our scale, you should have already had her. And I said, so what are you telling me? What does that mean? They said, well, we think it would be in your best interest to induce the pregnancy, to induce the birth of the baby. And I said, well, how do you do that? Essentially, they insert something behind your cervix, they right. use their finger and they insert it behind your cervix. And what what's funny? So they finger pop you. Go ahead. Awesome. So <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. You know, you can you can you can be a little bit more discreet. I'm you, sorry. You know what I mean? just, Honestly. Just popped on my mind. Go ahead. Of course. So they um, they insert this uh, chemical hormone, whatever it is. I'm not quite sure what it is. Mm-hmm. And what it does is ripen your cervix. And it brings on the contractions, thus inducing the labor. Right. So they explained this to me and I said, well, when were you thinking about doing this? Next week? Or they said, oh, no, 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 today. Not like now, not not right now, but right now. Like go home, pack your bag, come back to the hospital and we're going to do it. You're going to have this baby today or, you know, maybe early in the morning by the time we're done with the whole procedure. I said, mm, yeah, so that's not going to work. So I got a photo shoot at about five. So 
maybe tomorrow after the photo shoot. I can make it to the hospital tomorrow because right. if I obviously comply with what you're su- suggesting, then I won't be pregnant anymore and I won't right. have my pregnancy photos. I mean, I took some preliminary ones, thank goodness. Uh-huh. Um, so that was the plan. I left and I was headed to Long Island and you called everybody. Mm-hmm. You called my mother. You called your mother. Right. You called all of your aunts. And while I'm on the road, I'm getting all of these phone calls from all of the women in our family telling me that I needed to make a U-turn and get my ass back to the hospital and have this baby. Right. And I was probably within about 15 minutes of the photo studio and... um, I decided to turn around against my will and uh, checked ourselves into the hospital. And I got there, checked in, and they induced me. Mm-hmm. And the thing with being induced is the contractions are like contractions on steroids. That's right. They're not your normal contractions. I think because they're brought on artificially, it just it turns it up times 10. The pain on your face made me feel like, thank God I'm a man. I ain't got to do this. (laughs) Those contractions were insane. So they gave me a drug called Demerol. And Demerol was my first experience being in a state other than perfectly within... You know, a normal state. It was high as hell. I, I, no, you were high. I had never been in an altered hell. state of mind in my life, and you were pointing at things in the sky. You was like, "Look at that! It's flying!" <laughs> like you were so wait, high. Wait, what was it? I remember, and because you, ugh, you videotaped it, mm-hmm. but that wasn't that was before iPhones. So you, we have it on like the actual the big, big camera, like the big camera, right, with right, like, right. You know, an actual like cassette camera. We have that, mm-hmm. but I remember watching it back and I was seeing things and I was like you look at that you see that it looks like a wave <laughs> you see that you was wave? so high I was like I, need, I asked a doctor I said doctor can I get some of that you was high oh my gosh but it was so good because it dulled all of the pain right and I was on that until they gave me my epidural now people always ask me do you recommend an epidural or do you believe in you know giving birth without drugs Listen, Mm -hmm. I think that that is a true occasion of to each his own. Me personally, I could not imagine having a baby without an epidural. Right. So men, in case you don't know, an epidural is a procedure where they, an anesthesiologist has a needle. Uh, First men, they kick you out the room. There's yes. no no men in the room. They, no, they, well, they, nobody in the room. Right. They, they won't allow me to you, come in the, the room. you, the anesthesiologist, right. and the doctor, and or the nurse. Right. So you bend over, and they put in your butt. <laughs> you know, you and this butt thing. Honestly, you said they bend over. Yeah, no, you and this butt thing though. Go ahead. Seriously, bend over. <laughs> you bend when over. When you think of bend over, what you think? Typically, you clutch a pillow to give you stability. <laughs> now, what does that sound like? You clutch a pillow, get bend over. <laughs> Sounds like anal. Go you ahead. know, it's funny. When I was younger and my mother explained what, what an epidural was to me, she had me so scared mm-hmm. of the idea of it. She's like, they take this long needle. It's like a foot long. Well, at least that's what I pictured in my mind's eye. It's like a foot long and they stab it into your back and I just felt that needle sliding through my vertebrae and then all of this, my back ran 
ran cold and I was like, oh my gosh, that's awful. I never want to get that. Oh no, but it was worth it because then I didn't feel anything. So I was so scared and skeptical about the idea of an epidural, but it's an anesthetic. So they gently, well, first they give you a topical anesthetic. So the point where the needle enters your back, that part is partially numb. All right. So that's like when you go to the dentist and they numb your gums. Or numb the tooth around it. You know something, um, when they give you that the Novocaine, like the yeah, um, because they put I that little even, ointment on it first. Yeah, they sure put the ointment on it. I don't even know if it was as painful as that. Every okay. time that I've had an epidural, it wasn't painful. It might have been. I don't even think it was as painful as a bee bite or a bee sting. It was very. You ever got stung by a bee? I've never gotten stung by a bee, but I imagine what it would feel like. And, you know, our child has been stung by a bee. I've been around you and you've been stung by a bee. So I just, it, it's its not painful. It's not very painful. I barely felt it. The first time I was still waiting for it to be done. Okay. And I said, well, are you done? And no, I said, when are you going to start? And they said, well, no, we're done actually. So they insert the needle and then your back does run cold. Mm-hmm. You're flushed with this anesthetic that's running through your back and what it does essentially is numb you and I think most experiences are similar some people have varying experiences but it numbs you pretty much from the waist down okay so that provides you with the ability to not feel anything pain wise during your childbirth okay so I felt the pressure you feel the pressure of what's going on in your body, mm-hmm. but it dulls all of the pain. So similar, <laughs> I mean, this might be a little TMI, but similar to um, going number two, you feel what's going on, but there's no pain associated with it. So you know Unless that you're you passing something. something hot. If you eat something hot, you feel a little pain. <laughs> then that might be a little painful. But you feel that something is passing through your body, mm-hmm. but... Honestly, it's as easy as pie. You feel the pressure, so you know when to push. Okay. You know when to push. You know when to relax. You know how to control your body. It doesn't take that away from you. Right. But it's actually quite easy because you can go through it without hurting. Okay. Um, So I personally recommend it. But you have many women who want to go through the pain of having a baby. They want to know what it feels like to bring a life into this world. Gotcha. Sometimes people say that they do it because they want to remember. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times you, you know, 10, 20 years later, you your memory fades and you forget a little bit of what it was like. So some people want the pain so that it kind of... Uh, reinforces their memory. Okay. So people want to go through it for their own reasons and I understand that as well. I'll pass. But, but for me, the idea of passing something so large through my body without an anesthetic, without having an epidural, I wouldn't even remotely sit for that. Gotcha. So, and you know, because a couple of the times we had a problem with the, um, with the epidural and I went ballistic. I remember. Yeah. So anyway... Um, I had the epidural and then I was on easy street. Right. So after you have the epidural, you can't eat anything. You can't drink anything because I think that your body reacts reacts poorly mm-hmm. um, as a result of it. So now you can only pretty much have ice chips right. after you have your epidural. So we did that and then it was time to push with Madison and 
it was very easy for me. She was born in three, three pushes. pushes. Right. What I did not like, and I did not like my doctor. He seemed like a nice person, but you're gonna talk about your butt and the slit. <laughs> wow, you're being a little too yes. loud. All right. I mean, this is for women particularly, and for the husbands that support them. So I want to give as much information as we can. Okay. Um, like I said, Madison was only five pounds six ounces. Okay. And there is a procedure called an episiotomy, which is where they slit the skin between the vagina and the anus. And what that does is it gives a little bit more room. It there's a, there's a little bit more give actually right. for the baby to pass through. Gotcha. But that's usually when a doctor is having some difficulty or the baby is too big and they don't want the vagina to tear. Gotcha. So they cut it neatly with a scalpel as opposed to risking you tearing in the same area. Right. So that the baby passes through more easily. My doctor, I felt that he was lazy and he didn't know if I was going to have to push or if it was going to be a long delivery or anything. So he cut me prematurely and I didn't know. He didn't ask my permission and it was completely unnecessary because she was a peanut and she was born in three pushes. Right now, that was our first doctor because I'm I, I'm sure that I was your, your second. Yeah, well, that was a that was a male. That was a male. Shout to Doctor Collado. That's yes. our our new gynecologist. Like well, I she's said, not our, new. <laughs> well, our last four. She's kids. She's not new. Our last four kids were delivered by Doctor Collado. So the um, first doctor, but you don't even remember his name. I don't even remember his name. Okay, go ahead. Um, he was a jerk for that though. So then, after they give you the episiotomy and the baby is born, they stitch you up really quickly. Right. Um, which means that. Post delivery, you have extra pain that just isn't necessary. When you urinate, it burns, right. and they give you a little squeeze bottle. So, if you could imagine, uh, if you can imagine a Poland Springs bottle, for instance, that you can squirt. Uh, when you urinate, at the same time, you squirt the bottle so it dilutes the urine and it, it doesn't burn as much. It doesn't burn as much. So you have to go through that and a little bit of a healing period. And for me, it was unnecessary. I'm sure for some women it is necessary, but my doctor was a jerk for that. Um, so anyway, she was born and everything was wonderful. Everything was amazing. Baby was healthy, no problems. Now, you know, what I didn't realize is that when the baby was born and everything was good, now it's a healing process for the mom. I mean, you just had this this traumatic thing in your body or traumatic, traumatic event, thing in I your mean, body, traumatic <laughs> event that happened to your body. You push this baby out and and, and they suck all the stuff out. I don't know what it's called. They don't a- suck afterbirth. It. The afterbirth. Afterbirth. <laughs> they get all the afterbirth out. That was from what? Um, what Eddie Murphy movie? Um, I don't remember. Boomerang. Boomerang, Boomerang, yes. Grace Jones. Yeah. Yes, so they, yes. they get all that stuff out. They, they don't suck it out. They just remove it. With, yeah, remove with, it. They remove it with their hands. Right. Go ahead. So they get all that stuff out. And then now the, the, the woman heals. Gia had to heal. So there is a period of about two or three nights that you spend in a hospital after giving birth where, you know, they pretty much take care of you. They make sure that you're healing properly. They make sure that your uterus is shrinking back down to the size that it's supposed to be. Um, they make sure that if you are wanting to breastfeed, that they have a breastfeeding specialist come in and teach you how to breastfeed. Right. They wait for you to heal and they get you acclimated before they dismiss you from the hospital. Right. Well, with Gia, she got a temperature. She got a fever. Right. 
And it wasn't a normal fever because sometimes when women have babies, they might get a fever. But you had a fever, a temperature of what? 104. 104 degrees. And it kept going up. And it got to a point. No, it it went up to 104. I think it was like 104 point something, I believe. It might have been a little over, but it was lingering right around 104. Right. And they were really nervous. I mean, they really didn't know what the reason was. Usually when a woman has a fever or temperature is because when they take all the afterbirth out, maybe they didn't take something out. Maybe they left a, 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 a instrument there that the doctor was supposed to use. Well, there's usually just some kind of problem. A gauze pad they might have left inside and didn't see. Or right. There was some type of a problem and they couldn't find what that problem was. Right. So I had x-rays done. They took so much blood from me that both of my arms were black, black and, and blue. blue. Right. Because every time that they took blood and tested the blood, it wasn't what they were thinking. So their plan B would fail. Their plan C would fail. Their plan D would fail fail and they began to get very nervous because they couldn't figure out why my fever kept spiking especially at night so it got to the point where they had to put me on something called an ice bed Mm -hmm. and that was terrible I mean I was laying on an ice bed for hours and hours a day to try to control my temperature while they tried to figure out what had happened. And what they assumed was that some type of um, bacteria or something had entered my body during the act of childbirth. And they were trying to figure out where it was. They saw something that was in my kidney, but it wasn't very... Um, informative, the information that they were finding from the x-rays. And and, and and to explain, usually they say that kids can get up to a temperature up to about 102, 103. And they said 103 is very bad. 104, it's like dangerous to the point where right. I believe they said you, you, you can start losing brain cells and things like that. I don't remember how it was that they described it, but they said they were worried for my life. Yeah, they thought you you, you maybe weren't going to make it yeah. out of there. Now, mind you, I felt fine. The gear felt fine. She was in the hospital bed, uh, legs crossed, uh, <laughs> you know, taking care of the baby, cracking jokes, but she was hot as shit. Yes, yes. I felt fine, but there was something that wasn't fine that was going on internally. Mm-hmm. And they would come into the room and see me happy. And the doctor kept trying to explain to me how serious an adult with 104 temperature is right because you know kids and adults are different we can have um, different temperatures or our fevers can range you know a, a child a child with 103 fever of course it's dangerous but mm-hmm. not as dangerous as, as it an is adult. in an adult and since I felt fine I didn't understand so they kept trying to explain the seriousness of it to me and um, it was so bad that one day when I was on the ice bed, a nurse came in and... And let me just say this before you, you, you tell that story. You know, if you listen to our podcast and you're a first-time listener, you know that God plays a big a big impact on our life. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those cases where we might not have seen it then, mm-hmm. but we understand it now. Now, this nurse, uh, I don't even remember her name. She was an older African-American woman. She was a nurse and she took care of gear and she was very scared when you got that temperature. So she came in at night. Right. And one day she came in and she, um, 
I was on the ice bed. I was on the ice bed every night, actually. Uh, She was taking my temperature. Oh, let me cut you off one more time. And usually when a woman has a baby, they stay in the hospital for two days. Two or three nights. Mm -hmm. Two days. uh, And they usually leave the third day. Mm -hmm. You were in that hospital five days. This was going on day number six. It was going on day number six. Day number six. Go ahead. Um, But she came in to take my temperature and she was tearing Mm -hmm. and she was trying to hide it from me. And I asked her why. And she said, this is very serious. You know, we can't figure out what it is, but this is very serious. Mm -hmm. And I said, serious how? She said, it's life threatening. And when she said that, then it became, that's the moment that it became real for me because this woman was so nice and she took care of me. She was the one that was bringing everything to me and bringing me my painkillers and, you know, everything and such a, just such, such a wonderful woman. And when she said that it, it, it spoke to me Right. and I realized how serious my condition was so the following morning I woke up and she got all of the nurses on the floor well I don't know if it was all of them but it was about maybe seven or eight nurses Mm -hmm. and they all prayed over me and my mother came in and that wasn't good for my mother to see because my mother if I feel something my mother feels at times 20 right you know, mm-hmm. my mother, like anything that hurts me hurts her so much more. So for her to come in and see that and realize that it was that detrimental, it really had an effect on her. And um, when they left, I felt something. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it, but I felt something. Felt it where? In your butt? I'm just joking. Go ahead. I'm just joking. I felt, you know, I I felt some kind of relief. Mm. I think that's the best way to explain it. I felt good. Mm -hmm. And um, about two hours later, my fever started to drop Mm -hmm. and they took me off of the ice bed. And they said that, you know, I can have some comfort in a normal bed for for some time, but they were probably going to have to put me back on the ice bed. My fever continued to go down and... I was released from the hospital the next day. Right. And I believe that it was because of all of the prayers that went up for me. And that special nurse. Yeah, they say that when you pray, it's best to pray in groups of two or more. When you pray in groups of two or more, then you're certain to be heard and acknowledged by God. Right. Um, so I think that that had everything to do with it because after that, you know, the second day they were running tests and everything and it seemed as though my body was going back to normal. Right. And then I was released that evening. Um, I went home and, you know, my fever, it did go up, but not to 104. I had to see a kidney specialist. They saw something and then all of a sudden I went back gone. for a second. Yeah, I went back for a second um a second appointment and it was completely gone. Right. It was it was the weirdest It was the weirdest, weirdest thing. thing. They never found out exactly what, what it was, was right. you know, but I just wanted, you know, I wanted you to tell that story because I think a lot of men and women don't realize the effects a child has on a woman and especially men because we don't have the baby. So, you don't understand. So when, when a woman goes through 
uh, hormone issues and they, and they I don't want to say bipolar, but one day, <laughs> one day they feel like this and one next day they feel like that. Like their body is going through a lot. And I think sometimes men take it as, oh, she's being bitchy or she's just being a bitch, but it's mm-hmm. not. They're actually going through a lot. And I also thank God that, you know, we've had five children. We have five children. After every child, you've never had any problems. A lot of women go through, you know, where they're born and they hate their child. You know, postpartum, postpartum, they mm-hmm. like they dislike their child or they dislike themselves. And thank God. And, you know, we were lucky that you've never went through that or experienced it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's very common. You know, I hear people talk oh, about yeah. it again. It's very common. Oh, I, just, yeah. I just wanted to tell people about your experience, because I think sometimes when women have children, they don't know what to expect. Or when men have a child, especially with me, I'm an only child. So I didn't have any other babies around. I didn't see anybody else pregnant. You were my first mm-hmm. person that I seen pregnant, like have a baby. And so, in your life. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm sitting there like, what the hell's going on? Like it's all freaking creepy at the same time, mm-hmm. you know? But you know, with, with Logan, because the contractions with Madison were so strong, I didn't know that they were particularly strong because of the, what was the name of the, um, the drug? Uh, I can't remember the name of the drug, but... Mm-hmm. The one that ripened the cervix because of that like I said earlier the contractions were so strong so I was at Logan's birthday is December 28th right. so three days after, after Christmas, Christmas right. I was at the mall returning some Christmas gifts and I went into labor and did not know it because in comparison to what I experienced with Madison these contractions were a joke. Right. They were so light and they were so full of nothing that I had no idea that I was in labor. So I'm with my mother and I said, you know, I'm feeling something. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's that thing that they call Braxton Hicks, which is like uh, fake contractions, I guess, right. for lack of a better um, explanation. And they started coming regularly and then more regularly. And then the, the duration of this discomfort, if you will, was a little bit more extended and I said you know what mom I think I might be in labor Mm -hmm. she said yeah why don't you call your doctor so I called my doctor (laughs) my doctor said Gia you're in labor meet me at the hospital I said now she's like yeah meet me I need you to meet me at the hospital right now right I'm like "Eh." I'm in the mall shopping. I'm like, I just have about three more returns (laughs) because if I have this baby, I'm not going to see a mall for another two months. And then I'm just stuck with these things that don't fit or that I don't like. So I remember going into Banana Republic and the line was so long and I skipped to the front and I asked the person in the front, I'm like, do you mind if I cut in front of you right quick? Because I'm in labor and I need to get to the hospital, but I just have to return these boots you know, my she was like, um, okay. I know she thought she was crazy. Yeah, was and then I, I went to about two more stores. There was no way that I was going straight to the hospital because yeah, to go back home because and we I'm nev- like we've never I've been had a backpack shopping mm-hmm. all day. I'm like, no, no, no. I have to go home. I have to take a shower. I have to prim. I have to shave. I have to do my makeup. I have to do my hair. We're going to be taking pictures. So I remember. So for those of you obviously that don't know me, I do my makeup in the sink. I kind of sit 
in the bowl of my sink sink so that I'm very close to my mirror. And I remember sitting in the sink and you and my mother cursing me out Mm -hmm. from the bedroom. If you don't get out of that sink, you're going to have that baby in the sink if we don't get to the hospital. Yep. I'm like, call the doctor and tell her that we'll be on our way in about 30 minutes. My mother was like, Lord have mercy. Get out of the sink. We have to go. If I could have dragged you out that sink, I'd have pulled you. And I remember saying, the more that you guys are in my ear, the longer it's going to take. Let me just finish. And then we're going to get, it's going to be fine. So we finally get to the hospital Mm -hmm. and my doctor comes in and she says, Gia, you're seven and a half centimeters. You ready to rock and roll. Like you are damn near about ready to start pushing. Right. And I'm like, what? I'm like, well, hold on. We have to have my epidural. So let's get the anesthesiologist. And she's like, um, you can't have an epidural. You're too late. Like it, you're past the time. And There's the, like a threshold of time of time where you're supposed to. I think it's between five and seven centimeters. I think Maybe something like that. And um, you should have seen the worry on Gia's face. <laughs> All she could think about was having a baby without an epidural. She started stuttering. She started asking questions. I was like, if you don't get that anesthesiologist in here right now to give me this epidural. Yeah, I was like, I'm not having a baby. I'm, I'm just not, not I'm not, not going to have the baby. No, the I baby's not going to come out. I make this the most difficult childbirth for you. It okay? was hilarious. <laughs> like, I will not push. I will not do anything. And she was like, let me talk to the anesthesiologist. So she got him in there. Yeah, to do it. Yeah, and, and they I, gave me the epidural. And I was like, see, I told you so. If you didn't say, in the shower if you didn't stay in the sink you would have came here earlier you'd have the epidural <laughs> right right but they re- but you know something when it comes to healthcare professionals mm-hmm. a lot of times I think that you do have to insist on things and if we talk about um, the next two pregnancies then I'll explain why because a lot of times it wasn't the case in this situation but a lot of times doctors don't take you seriously when you express a concern right or something but well let's go to that point but I was adamant and they gave me the epidural and Logan was born and he was born in two pushes two pushes he was born in two pushes no problems no complications everything was smooth everything was smooth it was great no temperature he was eight pounds two ounces big fat baby right Little butterball. Now, all, all the other babies were, were, were great. Now, what I wanted to, we had no problems with no babies. We never had another complication again, thank God. There thank was just God. the one with Madison. Now, you, you just mentioned something about doctors sometimes and health professionals when sometimes you have to be persistent because yes. maybe they don't know what they're talking about and they're assuming. Well, I don't want to say that they don't know what they're talking about. I think that they usually know what they're talking about, but the problem is that a lot of times they don't give enough credit to the patient. Well, explain the situation what happened with you because you were very adamant about this and you and the, the anesthesiologist almost got into a fight. Yes. So this was with Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, It got to the point where they gave me my epidural and I know what it feels like to have an epidural. Because you're a professional. Because I'm a professional. (laughs) So the experience is that when I say you feel nothing from the waist down, or at least that was how it was for me, nothing from the waist down. Someone could have came in with a chainsaw and cut off my foot and I would not have felt it. Right. I didn't have that experience with Jackson. They gave me the epidural and... I'm laying there and I was feeling sensation in my left leg. And I said, "Mm, there's something strange about this. 
and there's a monitor behind you or, you know, off to the side of your bed and the monitor shows when you're having contractions. You see, you know, the, the lines going up and whatnot. So I remember laying there and saying to Rashawn, Rashawn, are the lines jumping right now? Uh-huh. And well, they really look like little mountains. They're not really lines, but I'll just call them lines for lack of a better explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the lines started to jump. I said, are they jumping right now? You said, yes. I said, okay. I waited about another, I don't know, three, four, five minutes, whenever my next contraction was. I said, babe, are they jumping right now? And you said, yes. I said, you see the problem with that? You said, what? I said, I'm not supposed to know that. I'm not supposed to know when I'm having contractions right. because I'm supposed to be dull from the waist down. Right. I said, so that means that my epidural isn't taking 100%. So Gia said, call that anesthesiologist again. Bring his ass in here. Right. He came back in and they started arguing. Well, first he said to me, well, you know, you're supposed to feel a little something. I said, no. He said, no, I'm not. I'm not supposed to feel anything. Well, you know, people's bodies take to it differently. I said, that's all well and good. I said, but I've done this twice before and I've never felt anything. The fact that I know when I'm contracting, I said, actually right now I'm contracting, aren't I? He said, yes. I said, well, I don't have eyes in the back of my head. So there's something wrong with this with this whole scenario. And he said, well, what I can do is I can give you a device where you can administer yourself a little bit more anesthesia. It's called topping off. So it's a little button right. that you press. You hold it in your fist. You press the button with your thumb and it gives you a little bit more anesthesia. You can only do it, say, maybe once every 10 minutes or so. It doesn't allow you to overdose on Correct. the anesthesia. It regulates you. So... I said, hmm, that doesn't really make any sense because my right side is perfectly numb. My left side is not. So if you are giving me this thing to top myself off, it's only going to make my right side even more more numb and it's not really going to do anything for my left side. That doesn't seem to make sense. So he brings in somebody else. So now they're arguing right now. Now Gia is in labor where she's about to have this baby and she's arguing with the anesthesiologist. And then my nurse comes in and she's looking at my blood pressure. She's like, you have to calm down because your blood pressure is going up. Right. And that's going to put you in jeopardy. It's going to put the The baby baby in in jeopardy. jeopardy. Right. I said, get me another anesthesiologist. I cannot deal with him anymore because he knoweth not what he's talking about. I said, I don't have any experience as far as medicine. I said, but this is common sense. Now, Gia's acting crazy. She's erratic. She's starting to tear. I, no, it, I, was, I was so angry because I felt as though I was being dismissed. And the baby's about to be born. He wasn't taking my concerns strongly. Right. He was treating me like, oh, yeah, well... Whatever happens, happens. Oh, well, you can sign a piece of paper that, you know, alleviates us of all responsibility if blah, blah, blah. I said, you know what? Get out. I want to see another anesthesiologist because you are being very condescending and you're not taking my concerns seriously. Right. So they get me another anesthesiologist. So now this nice person walks in and I tell him what my concern is. I said, I'm numb on the right side. I can feel it on the left side. What's the problem? He said, well, the problem is that your epidural wasn't put in correctly. 
he said it's not that it was a mistake or anything it's just something that happens where if it doesn't go in straight it can deliver more anesthesia to one side than the other and it's not done evenly right he said so what typically we would do in that situation is remove it readminister it so that it's straight so that you have an even distribution on the right side or the left side and that just angered me because it it verified what I thought right common sense told me that the other anesthesiologist didn't want to admit because he was the one that gave me the epidural he was wrong he was wrong so when he came in and verified what my thoughts were I felt good and I said well no I don't think that we can take it out and readminister it because at this point I was so far along I said what's a plan b So then my doctor gets there. Then my doctor comes in and says, okay, well, what I can do, I said, because Dr. Claude, I don't want to feel anything. Right. Nothing. So what she did was, and this sounds like it was painful, but I was numb enough where she could go in with a needle and give me a little bit more anesthesia. She applied it to my cervix Mm -hmm. um, to numb that so that, when you know I had the baby, I wouldn't feel anything. So literally, about maybe twenty minutes after after she did that, the baby was delivered. Right. Um, London was delivered. So, so the point is. Oh wait, wait. Oh yeah, that was London, London not was Jackson. London. I yeah, said that was, that was Jackson earlier. No, 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 no that, that was, was London. London. Mm-hmm. So the point being is sometimes you have to ask questions and you have to get a second opinion, even if it's a doctor, even if it's a a, a professional, a health professional, because sometimes they are wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of sometimes times, they don't care. Right. And sometimes they just don't know. So sometimes you have to ask and you have to find the information because it's your body. It's It's, your body. It's your life. So you have the right to ask questions, to make demands, to get clarification, to understand and to ultimately get what you want and what you deserve if it's if it's in favor of your health. Right. Right. So I just wanted to tell people to give people a, you know, what it some of the, the complications and how your pregnancies work. People ask all the time. A lot of people are nervous. A lot of people are, are a little scared and people just wanted to know. And I think that with you or with not with you, with us having five kids, it was easy to just tell, you know, well, this is what happened with this. This is what you should look for. This is if you feel this way, what you should do. You know, I just feel like it's always good to to give people some information if they don't know. Yes, and there are there are a lot of other um, complications, like very serious complications. Mm-hmm. And um, being that so many women have babies every day, people take for granted and believe that it's so easy. But it's a very large undertaking for a woman to give birth to a baby, to bring a life into this world. It takes a lot and people don't really realize it because it usually goes off without a hitch. But there are are a percentage of women that you know it's not as easy and problems arise Mm -hmm. so all right well thank you for sharing your experiences (laughs) (laughs) today's episode of the casey crew is brought to you by blue apron for less than ten dollars a meal blue apron delivers easy to follow seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients right to your door now for instance now that we're gonna be doing this podcast at home i'm gonna cook after the podcast, Blue Apron's going to help me out, and it's going to be good money. Are you going to wear a Blue Apron? No, I was going to be naked. Oh, no, we got the kids here. Damn, I can't get too sexy, huh? 
Not too, too sexy. All right, I wear a blue apron. I'm going to have some jeans over it. I'm going to have some jeans and then the blue apron on. It's not sexy anymore. Never mind the fact that I asked. Well, we got kids in here. What are we going to do? I mean, it's just that's not going to be sexy. Well, tonight I'm a, I was going to do spicy shrimp, coconut curry with rice. What do you think? Spicy shrimp, coconut curry with rice? Yes. I dig it. All right, so that's what I'm going to cook for you tonight. And it's so easy. They prepare everything for you. All you got to do is just cook it, follow the directions, and it's good money. Now, check all out- All the ingredients are in the box. Oh, it's all in? Yes. Now, check out this week's menu and get your free, I should say your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Crew. You have to try it out. Again, check out this week's menu. Get your first three meals free. That's free. F-R-E-E. Free, 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 free. With free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Crew. All right? Incredible home cooking has never been more attainable thanks to Blue Apron. So make sure you sign up today. That's blueapron.com slash Crew. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Now let's get to the question of the email of the week. All, all right? right. Now this is from Taylor. Taylor says, hey guys, hey Casey crew, I have a question for you. I know you have a daughter, she's 15, and I have a daughter who is 14. Right now, I'm having a problem because she likes to go out with her friends, and they say I'm overprotective. We get into a lot of arguments, I won't allow her to go to the mall with her friends, and I won't even allow her to walk from the bus stop. Am I going too far, or is it one of those things where I'm being a safe mom? What do you think? You are not going too far. We are so incredibly protective. I don't want to use the word overprotective. We are incredibly protective of all of our children. Absolutely. You know what Madison said to me (laughs) the other day? What? She was like, Mom, you know I'm 15 and I'm not allowed to play in the cul-de-sac, right? (laughs) That's what she said? (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, but you know what you got to understand? It's like, we're very overprotective and we are the parents that you know what? I don't want you to go out to your friend's house. All your friends could come here. Tell them to come here. You know, you, you want to go to the mall? We'll take you and your eight friends to the mall. Yes. You want to go here? All right, we'll take you and your 10 friends and get a car or a bus and we'll take everybody. We'll get a sprinter and we'll take everybody because we'd rather be safe than sorry. We are very protective. We are very protective in everything that we do with our kids. is just, just it is what it is like we are the type of kids that we will follow our kids up the slide at Chuck E. Cheese and then Gia will be waiting down the slide to pick them up <laughs> like that's who we are as parents yeah. and the reason being is we've seen a lot on TV and actually Gia was you know as a child it's like I feel like we've been through everything if there's a situation yeah. we've been through where Gia was almost kidnapped Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so we are really protective of our kids to the point where. But that's not the reason why I'm protective. I just think it's my nature. I think it's also because of that. You might not feel that way, but if that didn't necessarily happen to you, I don't think that you would really be as protective. Like we're super duper protective, like the type where. Like she's 15 and she literally cannot play in the cul-de-sac. Well, not even that. I mean, we could be in the, we could be in the mall and she goes to the bathroom and I stand outside the bathroom waiting store, for her. Yes. It's mm-hmm. just, I'm not out the store, but outside the bathroom door, just waiting for her because mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen in there. I don't know if somebody snuck in there and tried to do something to her. I want to be able to hear if she screams. I want to be able to, I watch too many movies where they snatch these girls, throw them through the window. I want to be there. Yes. And you know something, the safety of our children has always been paramount for me ever since they were younger. I remember 
let's see, May's 15 now. I remember when she was about, I guess, 12, maybe maybe even 11. Mm-hmm. And Logan, I guess, was 9 or 10. And I had a conversation with them. And it was preparing them in the case that they were ever abducted. Right. Um, I said, well, this is what you do. If you're ever taken off of the street or in a mall or if anything odd happens and you know mommy or daddy happens to turn their head and someone takes you this is what you do you compl- well first you you don't get into a car you don't get into a car without giving a fight or a struggle you yell you scream you make as much noise as possible to heighten the chance of someone seeing or what's hearing. going on absolutely and stopping it or deterring it or giving you a chance but If they're successful and you are in a vehicle, what you do is you sit quietly and you pay attention to everything. You pay attention to what the inside of the car looks like, what the inside of the car smells like. You look outside the window if you can, if you're not blindfolded. You look outside the window and you take inventory of what you are passing. You listen to see what kind of road you're riding on. If it's smooth pavement, if it's a dirt road, you pay attention if there's trees. You count if you can so you can have some kind of idea of how long you are in that car. If it's 10 minutes from where you were taken from if it's 15 minutes if it's an hour but you stay awake the entire time and you take as much information as possible because if you ever get to that place wherever it is that they are trying to take you and you you have an opportunity to get free or Or to make make a a phone phone call call. you can give 911 as much information as possible or if you're returned home you can give us as much possible to find where you were held or who did this to you and you should do that with your kids as well you should have this conversation I know it's a scary conversation but we have it with all our kids as far as everything I mean if they see a van pull up if they see a car that that looks a little crazy know what to do memorize the license plate Look at the car situation. You know, even, you know, there there has been some times where our kids had to walk from the bus. And, you know, this is the And I mean, they're not allowed to, but there have been occasions where that were beyond our control where they might have had to have walked from the bus stop, which is literally one block away from our house. And if you. And Madison. At her age, at 15, she's not allowed to walk that one block home. Right. And the, I know that to some of you, that might seem very extra. I know it sounds that way. But the reason is, if you are a child abductor and you have a target in mind and you know their schedule and you know that X child gets off of the bus at 3.20 every day on this corner and then they walk home without a parent and without a friend, then it's very easy to take advantage of that situation if you are a pedophile or, you know, an offender. Right, and and if you can afford it, you know, as soon as our kids were able to take to the bus, we got them a cell phone. Now, it doesn't have to be an iPhone if you don't want to afford or pay for an it iPhone. Phone. It, it could be a phone. It could be a track phone. It a could be a phone, phone from 7-Eleven. It could be a prepaid phone. And what we do is when they get off that bus and they have to walk or they're in a place where we are not there, we make them call us no matter where it is. You know, Even if we don't answer, we make them talk to our answering machine. So if something happens, they can always say, 
you know, dad, white Chevy, license plate 762348, whatever it may be. So we always have that information. Those are the type of parents we are because we are so extra mm-hmm. about our kids' safety. Now, mm-hmm. explain. And they have all of those things in place. Right. They, they know the procedure and what to do and how to act mm-hmm. in, in case anything happens. And I highly suggest that you do that with your children. And, you know, it's funny, um, just yesterday and the day before the news has been covering there was um there was a, a young man a serial killer right? a serial killer he killed he raped and killed three women in three months that's crazy and you know <laughs> he looked so unassuming he looked so unassuming he looked like he could have been a young professional or a college student or something and I take those opportunities to bring Madison and Logan into my room or into the kitchen wherever it is that I'm watching the news and I'll say sit down and watch this story or as soon as the story is going I'll record it and if they're not home I'll show it to them afterwards and say this is the reason why we're we're protective this is the reason why we have a certain protocol in place because you never see it coming. Well, I don't want to say never, but it's very likely that you will not see it coming. It'll be someone that you never expect. And it's a situation that you would never think that you would be in. You, you never think that you would be the target of an abduction. You think that that happens to people on the news. It happens to people in other towns or in other states under other circumstances. But right. it can just as easily be you. So whenever there's a child abduction story and, you know, or anything relating to that, I always bring them in to say, hey, this is real life. This right. is real life. So now you were in a situation when you were a kid. What, what happened with you? Well, I was nine years old, Mm -hmm. and my mother had brought home a rescue dog for my brother and I, and we decided that we were going to split the responsibilities, so it was my job to walk him and to prepare his food and feed him, and it was my brother's job to housebreak him. Mm -hmm. So the time frame that I was supposed to walk the dog was between 6.30 and 7 o'clock every morning. So it was around that time, and I'm walking the dog. By yourself? By myself. Nine years old. Nine years old. Mm -hmm. And it was a little poodle, and his name was Pierre. So I'm out on my block, and I'm going up one side of the street. And when I looked across the street, I noticed a man that I had seen a few days in a row. And I thought it was a little strange because I didn't recognize him as someone from my neighborhood. He was a legitimate stranger. Mm -hmm. And I see him coming up the block in my direction. And I'm paying loose attention to him. And then he proceeds to cross the street. But when he crossed the street, he was crossing directly towards me. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're walking in a particular direction, let's say you're walking north. When you cross the street, I would say probably 100% of people would cross at a diagonal. You wouldn't make a hard left and cross the street at a 90 degree angle, which is what he did, making him cross directly towards me. And when I noticed that, I changed directions, I turned around, and started walking quickly towards my house. Mm -hmm. As I began to walk quickly, he began to walk quickly. And the quicker I walked, the quicker he walked. And then I began to run. 
and then he began to chase me. Mm -hmm. He caught up to me in front of my neighbor's house. And when he did, he just began to strangle me. His hands were around my neck Mm. and he was choking me and not saying anything. Mm -hmm. Not a word came out of his mouth. And I'm doing my best to scream and I was starting to lose some sort of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And my dog bit him on the leg. And without letting go of me, he turned to my dog and kicked him so hard that my dog flew into the street. Mm -hmm. And when he did that, I managed to knee him as hard as I could in his groin. Mm -hmm. When I did that, he let go of me for a moment and I was able to run away. So I continued to run towards my house and then he began to chase me again. When I made it to my house, now my house had three steps and then a landing Mm -hmm. and then about maybe six or seven other steps that led to the front door. So when I made it up the three steps to the landing, he grabbed me again by my neck and he yanked me off of my porch and he began to choke me again, still not saying anything. Right. I wasn't sure what he wanted. It was clear that he wasn't necessarily trying to rob me. I was in a t-shirt and shorts with a dog and I thought to myself, This man is trying to kidnap me. Mm -hmm. So I began yelling and screaming again. And one of our neighbors, whose name was Zach, who lived up the block, us young kids knew him as like the young, cool neighbor. Mm -hmm. He didn't live there. You know, he didn't have the longevity on the street like all of our other neighbors and whatnot. He was like a newcomer to the block. He might have only lived there a few years. And he was loading his van down the block he heard me yelling and screaming and you know everybody knew he had a rottweiler and his rottweiler was always with him Mm -hmm. so he began running up the block with his dog and i saw him coming towards us and as he began to get closer the person that was choking me let go and took off Mm -hmm. and zach and his dog took off after him He ran to the end of the block and he made a left and I didn't see either of them any longer. Mm -hmm. I regained my composure because I didn't want to be a basket case walking into my house because I didn't want to alarm, especially my mother. And when I got into the house, I said, mom, dad, someone just tried to take me. Mm -hmm. My father hopped out of bed in his underwear my brother hopped out of bed in his boxer shorts and they said what happened I said he just started choking me I broke free he caught up to me again he began choking me again Zach started chasing him they went to the block they made a left Mm -hmm. they both ran out of the house and hopped in the car and took off Mm -hmm. my mother and I called the police We told them what happened. They came to the house. They picked us up and then we took off looking for them as well. Right. So we might have been looking for about 
15 minutes in the nearby area in my neighborhood. And when we were on our way back to the house, we saw a big scene. And there was another two cop cars pulled over on a corner, some people, and then I saw my father and my brother out there as well. Right. So when the cop car that I was in pulled over and we got out, I noticed that the man that attacked me was on the floor with Zach's dog sitting on top of him and the police had just gotten there and they were trying to assess the situation. Right. I got out. I told the police that he was the man that strangled me and they proceeded to get him off of the floor. Zach's dog got off of him and they were putting handcuffs on him. My father was in a bit of a state. My brother was in a bit of a state. And the crazy thing that I noticed was that he had on a change of clothing. Mm -hmm. And without going through all the details, what we came to find out as he was being prosecuted was that he had planned on attacking me for some time and he had hidden a bag of clothes in a neighbor's backyard. So when he made that left at the end of my block, he continued down that street and then hopped a fence into a neighbor's backyard, changed his clothing, and then came out on the parallel cross street. Mm -hmm. So when Zach lost sight of him, and he went up another block. He didn't find him until he came out on the other cross street and Zach was waiting for him. So they went back and they were canvassing the neighborhood looking for this change of clothes because I was adamant that he was wearing something completely different. Mm -hmm. So long story short, he was charged with, I'm not sure of the exact charge, it was a long time ago, but mm -hmm. I think it was something along the lines of attempted child abduction. And once they booked him, they got his fingerprints, they realized that he was linked to other robberies and other small crimes that were going on right. in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I remember reality being very real for me mm -hmm. at that time knowing that these type of offenses aren't things that you only see on the news and they're not things that you only see on your law and orders and your CSIs and, you know, shows of that nature. They're things that can be very real and very immediate if you don't take precautions, if you're not safe, if you don't have the foresight or if you don't realize that it can be reality. When you slip or you're caught slipping, you can be a victim of something because you didn't realize that it can actually happen to you. Right. And to answer, to answer your question, go back to you, Taylor, to answer your question. You know, we are very, very anal about our children's safety and we try to make sure that we can possibly be there or that we can be on top of everything. But if you can't be there and we know there's a lot of parents that can't be there, maybe they work, maybe their kids have to walk home, mm -hmm. you know, even for, for me and gear, I mean, I had to take the bus home. I had to take the dollar van home. I mean, it was I, I couldn't 
my parents couldn't be down my ass. So what my parents did was, like Wigia told you earlier, they made sure I knew everything about uh, if something did happen, to yell, to follow, to keep my eyes open, to look, to try to see what, to try to see it happen before it happens so you can prevent it. And if it does happen, to make sure you are aware of everything going on so you could possibly get out of the situation. And I just remember my dad uh, buying me a, a, um, a beeper at a younger age where he can uh, get in contact with me. And not even that. I know there's not too many pay phones around now, but what he did was he had an 800 number to our house. Oh yeah, I remember. So no matter where in the world or where in the country that I was, that if I had to call, I can always call home. Right. And when cell phones came out, he got me a cell phone, which at at the time, cell phones were super duper expensive and I could only use it to call him if I was in trouble. Mm -hmm. And those things really, really helped. Uh, I know cell phones are a lot cheaper and they have, you know, inexpensive phones at 7-Eleven and inexpensive phones all over the place. So if you can afford it, just make sure your child is equipped with a phone. Uh, Make sure your child is equipped with a phone with a camera because taking a picture and sending it always works as well. But Taylor, you are not being overprotective or super protective. You're doing what's right and continue to do it. I mean, the way that I go about thinking, thinking about how I parent regarding safety I always think of the worst case scenarios. Right. Always. And I act against those potentials. So, for instance, Madison's at the age where, you know, she has friends that are juniors that drive and they drive each other around. These are kids with new licenses. Right. And they drive everywhere. And, you know, I don't judge how other people parent, but. I know that when Madison has a new license, she's not going to have three other girls in her car going to the mall. Um, I think that, you know, a child should be driving for a good amount of time before she's able or he's able to drive other kids around. Mm -hmm. And I also told Madison, when you get your license, you're going to be the one that's driving. You're never going to be a passenger in another teenager's car. She said, well, why not? What if they're good drivers? I said, your assessment might be that they're a good driver, but I don't know if your friends are good drivers for good driving's sake. I don't know if they text while they drive. I don't know if they talk on the phone while they drive. I don't know what their reaction time is like. I don't know if they drink or if they do drugs or what's going on in their life that may affect their judgment. But what I do know is that you are not going to be a passenger in a car where I don't know what may happen as a result of that driver's judgment. If anything ever happens to you, it's going to be because it was you and your judgment, not because I allowed you to be a passenger in 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 the car of another child or another teenager whose judgment was impaired for whatever reason. That responsibility is going to fall on you. And I'm going to make sure that you know everything that you need to know about driving and about safety and, you know, everything. So you bear all of that responsibility. You're not going to be a victim of someone else's shortcomings. And she's like, oh, okay. Like her friends now, you know, they walk to each other's houses and they walk to each other's houses at night and, you know, they're out. And and I'm just like, no, not you. Because where we live, there are no sidewalks. There are houses and there are lawns and then there's like curb. 
Right. And these kids, you know, we're driving, we're on our way out, we're on our way in, and there's kids walking the at streets, night. Pitch black, and I'm thinking dark, to myself, yeah. there's so many teenagers in this town, and I don't want to say all of them, but a lot of them drink. A lot of them are new drivers. A lot of them do drugs. And, you know, you're just you're walking on the street. I mean, it hasn't happened in our town, but someone can be looking down at night and be texting, and then all of a sudden you're a fatality because you got hit by a car Absolutely by a teenager right. that wasn't paying attention, or even a drunk adult. But I said, just the idea that you're walking in the middle of the street and not on sidewalks that doesn't sit well with me. No, absolutely. And Madison, right. thank God, she doesn't give us any pushback. Mm-hmm. She's like, okay, no, I understand. No. Everything that we put limits on her about, she's like, okay, no, no, no. I understand. I get that. I mean, I don't want to get hit by a car. I mean, I don't want to be the passenger in a car of a, you know, a fatal accident. No, no, no. I understand. I get it. So she doesn't give us a hard time, thank goodness, because right. she could be a completely different type of teenager and give us pushback and argue with us. And well, she understands. She and really does understand that our main focus is her, is, is her protection and her safety. So she complies. I mean, I know it's hard for her right now because she has friends that have brothers that drive and the brothers might be going to pick up their sisters from school. She might be going to her friend's house after school and I'll just say, I'm sorry, but you can't go home with them. You know, come home and then I will take you. I'll take you to your friend's house and then I will pick you up. Well, you know, the main thing about us is, you know, we want to make sure we protect and provide and we want to make sure our child is safe. And and sometimes our child is pissed off at us because we care more about her safety. And I mean, just like the other day, I mean, it was uh, one in the morning and I was tired of shit. Mm-hmm. And you know what are you, what are you talking about? Madison, uh, her friends were having a sleepover. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, I was like, "I'll go pick up your friends and bring mm-hmm. them back to our house." Right. And it was one o'clock in the morning, and I had to be at work at. I had to leave at the house at four a.m. Right. But I got my ass out that bed mm-hmm. and picked up all her friends and brought them back to our house because I just want to make sure that they're safe in our home. Yes. I can protect in our home. Yes. If they're not here, I can't protect. I don't know what's going on. I can protect here. I can make sure things are the way I want it to be here. Which and is very important at her age because just like we said earlier, a lot of her friends are drinking and driving and a lot of them are doing drugs. And what I understand is that, I mean, parents, this is going on in the basements of parents' houses and they don't even know. The parents don't even know. Right. And then the kids are driving afterwards and the parents really have no idea. And, you know, my listen, there are kids that are partying in other towns and I think that they're doing things that are a little bit more mature than the age of 15 you know, a little bit more mature than being freshmen in high school and their parents are allowing it. Oh, not, yeah, not even that. I mean, briefly, we had a neighbor who his daughter and son were at a bar. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And they got a designated driver mm-hmm. and the designated driver was driving them home. Now, this is all allegedly because I don't, I don't know the full story. And as they were coming home, the driver crashed. Mm-hmm. I guess lost control and crashed into a big rock and tree near our house. Well, it's believed that he was drinking. Well, we don't know. We just say allegedly. I said it's believed. Yeah, we we'll say allegedly. I don't even put that out there because I'm not sure. But he crashed for whatever reason, and the son broke his 
the son did he break his back? No, the daughter broke her back. Daughter broke her and back, and the son like broke his hip and broke his legs and has real. She had a concussion. Yeah. She broke her arm. She broke several ribs. Yeah, but they were pretty effed up. I think the son had a massive laceration on his leg. Like it was a very, very bad. And they did accident. the right thing. They didn't drive home. They got a designated driver. It's just we don't know what happened. But to say that you know you have to be very careful with they your were kids. doing about ninety miles per hour allegedly up our street and our speed limit is 25 right right but you just got to be very very careful with you know with your kids and you have to really explain to them and sometimes it might take you being tired but getting your ass out of bed and making sure you're good and I mean making sure they're good another situation and I'm just explaining what you know what we do I just remember your dad when we were a teen we were at a teen club and your dad would drop you off at like 10 mm-hmm. and sit outside the club until yep. 2 a.m. Yep. and then pick you up. Or your dad driving to, was it Skate Key? Skate Key. Mm-hmm. Skate Key. Yep. Now, skate Key was a, a, roller, a roller skating, skating rink in New Jersey. We, you know, at the time we lived in Queens and Gia's dad drove all the way to Jersey. Mm-hmm. Let you out. Now, this was the hood of the hood of the hood. Everybody was out there. I think SNS was DJing. It was, S- it was definitely SNS S- DJing. SNS uh-huh. was DJing. And he sat out there in the middle of the hood yep. that whole time and waited for you. And mm-hmm. that's what we have to do as parents. We can never get too lazy. We can never get too comfortable. We always have to protect and provide. But that's why parenting is so important. I remember everything that my parents did for me. So the idea of me doing it for my children isn't taboo. Right. It isn't taboo. It's not a strange thought. It's not a strange notion to me. I would never say, oh, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not sitting outside a club. I'm like, no, I will take you. I will sit out there and wait. And, you know, for parents of you know older teenagers, you know, listen, it's it's a nice novel idea to think that, you know, your kids don't drink or they're not dabbling, dabbling in things that they're not supposed to be dabbling in. But it very it very likely can be the case and with Madison and we sit down and we have long conversations about a lot of things and she's um she's very strict about how she conducts herself let's just put it that way so she's one of those where you know we have these conversations she's like well I'm never going to drink and I'm never going to do this and I'm never going to do that and I say well you know what Madison right now you might think that you'll never do it but as you get older things may change your ideas may change Um, you know you may meet people or it just might be it just might come along with your maturity so let's just say as you get older and you get into a situation where you're drinking and you're not supposed to be. You can always call me. Absolutely. To come and pick you up. I will pick you up. I will not ask you questions. I will not shame you. I will not, I mean, you'll know that I'm disappointed, but I will never do anything to dissuade you from ever calling me again if you need me. Absolutely. Because if you instill fear in your children, don't get me wrong, I do believe that your children have to fear you in some respects, but if they fear you so much that 
they can't call on you for help when they really need it, particularly when it can be detrimental to their safety, even though it may be a result of their own bad judgment, then there is a problem. Absolutely. I want my children to always be able to call me no matter what the problem, no matter how wrong they were, no matter how bad their judgment was, it, for me, it doesn't matter. I will be there to fix it. Absolutely. Call me and I will fix it. No matter you what You have it a is. problem, mommy will fix it. I'll call daddy in for reinforcement. Whatever needs to be done, I will take care of your problem. So they know that I don't want to say that they get away with it clean, but they have to feel that comfortability and they can't fear the the backlash of something that they've done if it dissuades them from making a good decision. Absolutely. Well, Taylor, I hope it helped. Mm-hmm. I hope yes. I, I hope it helps. <laughs> now, if you want to hit us up with an email or you have a question, you can always email us the KC crew at Gmail. That's T H E E K C crew at Gmail dot com. All right, and um, we'll see you guys next week. Yes, hopefully broadcasting from our basement again. You want to broadcast from the basement. I want to get out of here. <laughs> no, you just want to go upstairs. Well, as long as you take them fuzzy socks off. <laughs> I'll take the fuzzy <laughs> you socks off. take the fuzzy socks off? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see you guys next week. I'm DJ Envy. And I'm Gia Casey. And we are the Casey Crew. Toodles. Toodles.